The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is Owan, the only Tammy, the underdog Underwood. All right, we're just going to jump right into it and continue our call with Keith Hunter Jesperson, also known as the Happy Face Killer. We begin speaking now. All right, welcome oh. back, Keith. Wow, I timed that perfectly, huh? You did. Good timing. <laughs> good times. Good times. All right, so we were talking about Tanya Bennett. Um, and, uh, you know, it, for, this is for the last episode where we left off, but uh, that the body was found on the 22nd, the murder happened on the 21st, and the news report came out on the 23rd, and that's where everybody got the the uh, twenty the January 23rd date as the right. date of the murder, when in actuality, it was uh, on the 21st. Right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. It was now- on Saturday. Right. It happened Saturday, well, like late Saturday evening, right? Well, it was actually the murder happened probably around uh, uh, 5, 5 in the afternoon, 5 or 6, somewhere okay. now. Oh. oh. Right. He disposed of the body uh, later that night when it was right, dark. Right, when it was dark. Yeah, it was later that night because I had, to, I, I, I had to set up my alibi. Right. And then I had to drive out in the gorge to find a place to put the body before I actually returned to the house to pick up the body to take it back out to put it out there. Right. Okay. Yeah, because... there's a, there's, I calmed down after when, after when the murder happened. I was on the phone. I, I, the phone rang, and Roberta, my girlfriend, mm-hmm. was now wanted to be back with me. And wanted to, and so we sat there and talked for an hour while the body was stiffening up on the on the carpet in front of me. See, and, you know, that kind of made sense. And I had talked to Scott about it um, after our last our call last week um, because, yes, please. Ah, I almost dropped my headphones. But um, okay. that, hang on. that um, after our call last week that it kind of makes sense because you, I mean, you made it clear that prior to that you weren't an abusive person. I mean, you might have angry outbursts. Everybody does. Um, But you weren't an abusive person. And even Melissa said that when she was younger, you know, you doted on her and the the other kids. Um, So my whole thing is, is it made sense to me that you were frantic after, you know, you realized, hey, I just beat the living snot out of this woman. You know what I mean? You watch the show uh, Yellowstone? Have you seen the series Yellowstone? I've seen parts of it, yeah. Well, there's this one scene where these two guys go in and they beat up Beth, you know, the the daughter of of John Dutton. Yeah. And they beat her up just senseless. That's about what... When I watched that on Yellowstone, on the series, and I saw how beat up her face was, that reminded me what I had done to Bennett. Okay, and then you kind of panicked and were like, oh, my goodness, and you ended up killing her. Um, I was like, I, had to, I was trying to reason it out what I was going to do next. I mean, this is... Right. I, I brought her home as a seduction. I thought I was going to get laid, and I thought it was going to be just fine because she initiated this at the bar. She initiated hugging me, and I was like... Right. Okay, all right, yeah, we'll do this. And then I got we got home, and then 
I realized, you know, why I why I actually slugged her. I was mad, and I was mad right. at Rose. I was mad at me leaving, you know, uh, getting divorced. I was mad at Roberta leaving me and going trucking. I was mad right. at everybody. And right. when I brought her home, and she wouldn't kiss me. I was oh, okay. I was hugging her on her and stuff like that, and I was trying to kiss her. She wouldn't kiss me back. And I said, what the hell's wrong with you? Right. And something wrong got things, and I slugged her, and I just couldn't stop. I was so angry. I Ooh. just blew up. I just basically blew up. I never once hit a woman before, and I never once hit a woman after that. Right. Well, and see, just, and that's one of the things that Scott and I were talking about is, you know, because... At that, because I was like, okay, well, at that point in his life, he had just separated from his wife. His current girlfriend left him, um, and so I actually and tell me if I'm wrong that I was like looking at it, thinking, okay, because I think it very analytically um, that I under, I kind not that I condoned what you did, but I kind of no. see what you did. That if she did like reject you like you wanted to kiss her or whatever and take it further and she rejected you after all of that you know separating wife and with Roberta and that's rejection there that that would have triggered something I was just angry okay and I was just uh, you know I I thought something you know you know I was mad that Roberta left me because we had something going on right and then then of course then um you know, I had I went down to well, how come her how come she didn't drive home and then her car sitting there and one of the one of the waitresses was telling me well she got a ride with some trucker going east or something like that and I was like well I had to remember back to when I picked her up right I met her at a truck stop in Wheat, California and I started screwing with her every few days when I come through town okay so we were having that we were having sex and everything was great and everything like that. And so I basically picked her up from a truck stop. So this was like straight in my face. This I deserved it, I guess, you know. I mean, uh, some other guy picked her up at a truck stop and, and now I'm left holding the, you know, the bag. Right. I was going to say, this sounds familiar too. My sister met her husband because she was hanging out at a truck stop. But you Everybody know. meets every girl <laughs> in the truck. You know what? The shady, the shady truckers are, None of my ex-wives. None of my ex-wives ever came from a truck stop. Although, in my defense, <laughs> no, no, no. In my defense, though, Jake's mom. I was gonna say, a, yeah, she wasn't an ex-wife. Crying out loud. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, my, my my son's mom. I actually met her at a truck stop in Chehalis. <laughs> she was working there. So. Well, there you go. That's why. But I didn't marry her. The same. <laughs> okay, so let me get back to this. So moving forward. <laughs> yeah, let me get back to this. Um, okay, now I, from my understanding, in 1990, um, while Melissa and Rose and the other children were living in Spokane, that you very rarely visited the children, and you would just show up out of the blue, and you never did well, any overnights. Well, I understand that totally. And, but you never did any overnight visits with them, and you never took them out for more than a couple hours, like out to eat or to a movie. Well, you know, it's uh, in 1990. Right. Uh, I wasn't driving a truck. Oh. Okay. See, I was. I was running heavy equipment. I was going to say, isn't was that when you worked for that construction company? 
I worked for Copenhagen Construction Company there out of Clackamas, Oregon. Right. And the I worked there from uh, uh, in 1989. We moved down to Portland, and I I worked for several different companies until I got a hold of Copenhagen. Right. And then I worked for them until uh, you know until winter layoff about November of 1989, in which I started collecting unemployment. And that was right. another thing. I was collecting unemployment. I wasn't driving. And Roberto was out driving, and I wasn't driving. She wanted me to, to, qu- to quit unemployment and get a truck driving job so that she could be with me driving. Okay. That was her whole purpose. And I didn't want to go back to trucking. I wanted to stay construction. And then I was unemployed when I killed Bennett. Okay. Now- and then... Later, I got a job down in Sacramento for Copenhagen, down in their office in Sacramento, and that's when I, on the way down, I met Don Slagle. Okay. So now let's talk about the Don Slagle story. I don't think we touched on this last uh, no, couple we of episodes. Um, I actually have that in my notes, too. Good. Uh, <laughs> well, I can tell you the whole Don Slagle case right now, and then we can go back. I'll just, re- I'll just go down through what happened. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a good idea. And you ask, idea. Your, you ask your questions later, right? Right. No, yeah. that's fine. That's fine. I was just okay, telling so, him that I had it in my notes to talk about her, too. So, so. so Roberta, Roberta actually, uh, I get a call from Roberta's brother, Rick, down in Dunsmere, California. He tells me that Roberta's ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband left the kids down there, her two kids, Robert and Alicia. And when Roberta calls in one day, and I tell her, I said, hey, your kids are down in Dunsmore, California, and you're, uh, they want to be picked up. They want to be picked up. And, of course, where was Roberta? She was driving for Countrywide Trucking out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. It just so happened she was in Ellensburg, Washington at the time. This is like February of 1990. And they were stuck there because of avalanches over Snoqualmie Pass. And when I was on the phone with her, I said, why the hell didn't you go over White Pass or Stevens Pass instead of sitting there in, in Ellensburg? But that was another argument. And I still told her about the kids and we were, I was going to go pick her up. So I did. I went up there and picked her up and brought her back to Portland. And then the next day we went down and picked up her kids in Dunsmore and brought them back. And, and everything was fine. I was being Mr. Mom, you know, the guy at home and looking after the kids while Roberta went and found herself another job waiting tables. Okay. And uh, I got tired of being Mr. Mom, and I kept hounding Copenhagen Construction Company. I said, you know, I I really want to go back to running excavators and dozers and and, uh, wheel trenchers and stuff. He said, well, I have a job for you down in Sacramento. I'll need you to go down there and do a telephone job and run a big wheel trencher for us. And I said, okay, I can do that. Okay. And so I took off. I, I didn't tell Roberta. I decided I, I, I'm going to leave her. I, did, I, I didn't want to be, I, did, I didn't want, I was a coward, okay? Mm-hmm. I didn't want an argument. I didn't want to have an argument with her. I just wanted to leave and go down and go work and wanted to get the hell out of the house. And, and that was the house I killed Bennett in anyway, and I wanted to leave the place. So right. on, it was like um, April. 11th or 12th, right in there. I took off, headed south, and uh, on the uh, evening of the 13th, April 13th, I was in Shasta, California. I just bought some groceries at a local mall, and I was 
leaning against the car I'd bought from Jerry Day. It was a 1974 Chevy Nova. I was leaning against the back of it in, a, in an empty mall parking lot down by the U.S. Bank in Shasta, right behind Jerry's restaurant. And uh, I was sitting there eating, and I looked up, and here's this gal was walking towards me. She was carrying a baby and the breastfeeding the baby. Okay. And uh, she was drinking a pint of Jack Daniels whiskey at the same time. Well, there you go. And and then, of course, she in the parking lot, they have these railroad tires that are around the lights so that the cars don't hit the lights. And so she sits about 20 feet away from me on a railroad tire. She she sets down the bottle of, of whiskey on, this, on, this, on the pavement there, pulls out one, the other breast, moves the baby over to the breast, and then and, and doesn't cover herself directly. Eventually she does. And here I'm thinking to myself, I'm I'm at a dinner and having a movie at the same time, right? Right, right. <laughs> it was just like dinner and just, a show. You just can't make this up, right? <laughs> She's just entertaining me. I'm sitting there eating. I'm going like that. She's not saying anything to me. She's just sitting there, 20 feet away from me, breastfeeding her kid, and then sucking down this pint of Jack Daniel. Well, after she gets done drinking. She looks up at me and says, all of a sudden she starts talking to me. And I said, what's going on? And she says, you want a party? And I'm like, party? Um, I'm on unemployment. I don't have the money for this. I'm not buying you any beer. I don't want to be contributing to this factor. I just said, well, I, I, I'm not going to buy anything. She said, well, I'll buy the beer. Oh. Uh, and I said, well, okay then. You know. I said, well, let, let me drive you up to the convenience. Said, no, I'll let you walk. So I walk with her to this little convenience store about an eighth of a mile away. She hands me her baby, and I'm holding on to their kid, and she goes in the back, buys a 12-rack of beer, brings it up to the counter, and she pays for it. We walk back to the car. We get in the car, and we drink a couple beers, and everything's okay. And she says, i got to pee. I said, well, Jerry's Restaurant's right up there. I don't want to go to Jerry's Restaurant. I have a special place that we, we can go. And so she, we start the car. We drive across, we go west across the, from Jerry's restaurant across the highway, and the road kind of swings to the northwest, and there's a, a California Highway Patrol office on your right. Right before is a road that goes to your left. So you take the road to your left, and we go down about a mile or so, and there's this turnout okay. that goes into the woods, and we go into the woods, and she gets out, and she walks to the front of the car with the lights on, and she drops her pants and pees right there in front of me. So now I've seen everything, right? <laughs> right? I've seen her naked ass, I've seen her breasts, I've seen everything, and, and I'm holding on to the kid. She gets back in the car and sits down there, and we put the baby in the back seat of the car. And then we get to talking about, and eventually gets around to the party part of what she wants to party with. She claims to me that she gives the best blowjobs in Shasta. And I'm like, well, okay then. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the best there is, right? I'm right. supposed to. That's and I've heard like you know, later uh when she was talking to Matthew William Phelps, which is a writer, she had claimed to him that, that she had told me that her husband or boyfriend had told you know, she said that her boyfriend had said that she gives the best blowjobs. I'm going like, Oh whatever. Anyway, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, uh, we get to talking about this, and uh, I'm I'm getting ready for this great, you know, she's going to do me, all right? 
Mm-hmm. And we're we're in this uh, Nova, and, and the back seat's laying down so that the baby's actually on the top of the back of the seat, in the back, on top of the sleep bag I had back there. And uh, we're in bucket seats, and it was kind of uncomfortable. So while I was getting ready for this fellatio, or whatever you want to call it, right, um, right. she was, I had my hand over the back of her neck, kind of like, Guiding, you know, I don't know if you're aware of how this happens. I'm oh, sure yes, I am. But <laughs> yeah, I'm we're very, aware. We're very familiar with this aspect. Very familiar with this kind of concept. <laughs> it okay, ain't our so first trip around the block. I'm waiting for this, but so she's just planning in, ready to attack the one-eyed snake. Right, right, right. And and right at that time, the baby in the back seat starts to cry. Okay. And all of a sudden, she starts to talk, she starts talking about I shouldn't be here. I should be somewhere else. I should be home with my husband or boyfriend or some damn thing. And Why? the whole thing falls apart really fast. I mean, it goes south like in a hurry. Okay. And so she grabs the kid out of the back seat. She opens up the car, calls me an sob and a mother ever and all this. Grabs the kid, goes outside, and starts walking back towards town. I'm thinking, well, this went bad in a hurry, and so I covered myself up, and I thought, man, I can't just let them walk back to town, because even though it was April, it was cold outside, and the baby was, I, I, I felt more for the kid than I did her. Right, right. And so I, conv- I drove alongside her, I convinced her to get back in the car, and then once she got in the car, I drove up to Shasta, and right out there by Jerry's restaurant, she gets out of the car, flips me off, calls me all kinds of names, and I drive, I head south, right? I, I head head on down to Sacramento. She goes in, and from what I understand, that she was talking to her boyfriend or husband, whoever it is, and he was trying to convince her not to file anything because she kind of, like, instigated the whole damn thing. All right. And he didn't want to be part of this, but she decided she wanted to push the issue, so she went to the sheriff's office and filed, and they put a bolo out on me. Okay. And when I pulled into Corning, California, I pulled into Corning at the Burns Brother truck stop. I was going to go in and have a shower. I needed to shower something off me. So <laughs> I was trying to, I went in and arranged for the shower, and I walked back to the car. When I got to the car, there's like six cop cars around me, and they had the guns drawn, and I was face down on the ground, and they said, uh, they, they read me my rights. Do you want to talk to us? And I said, yeah, I'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. So I was telling them the story about, what happened. It was almost like Alice's restaurant. Mm-hmm. I was telling them, I said, yeah, this is what happened. And they said, so they take me downtown, they give me, they fingerprint me, they, they take my picture, and I agree to go back to Shasta. I'm going to drive back there in the morning. I agree. I told them I will go right back. We'll discuss this with the sheriff back there. And so they let me go. I have, I, I go have my shower. I, I uh, get in the car after having a late breakfast or an early breakfast, I guess you'd call it. And I drive back to Shasta and I pull in to the sheriff's office or right next to the sheriff's office. I walk in the sheriff's office and he asks, can I help you? And I say, well, yeah, um, I'm here to discuss the Don Slagle incident that happened last night. And all of a sudden the guns come back out again. They're all pointing guns at me and up against the wall and they handcuff me and I go in this little room and we talk for about two hours and I tell them, about the whole thing, about how, you know, she was drinking the, the Jack Daniels and she bought the beer and she took me down where all the locals make out at and, and this is how this all laid out. And 
And uh, they said, okay. So we get in the car, and we do the drive around. We go down, and sure enough, there in the parking lot is an empty bottle of Jack Daniels right where I said it would be. And the clerk at the convenience store remembers her buying the beer. So the story works out, right? They, right. They, and they tell me, they tell me, okay, I'll tell you what. You go ahead and go and do your thing. Go down to Sacramento, do your job, whatever like that. But be in contact with us. You know, keep in contact with us. We want to keep in contact with you. Right. And so I go down and go to work. I hear nothing about it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I work on the job. There's uh, the going down to the Arco Arena. We were doing the telephone work on the Arco Arena in Sacramento at the time. Right. And uh, we finished that job. And around June, I go back. I come north. And I get to uh, 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 Washougal, and I turn the car back over to Jerry Day, and I buy a three-quarter ton pickup truck, a 1969 pickup truck. Okay. And then I drive up to Yakima, and, of course, I buy an eight-foot camper from, of all people, Royce Knoyer, right? <laughs> friend of mine. So I buy the camper, and I put it on the pickup, and that's what I was going to live in when I went to work up in the Portland area. And it just so happens the job they gave me was a telephone job over in Astoria, Oregon, at the same time that the kindergarten cop was being filmed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, there you go. And I was I was over there when that happened. There's also, I don't know if you remember when the destroyer was coming up the Columbia River and they had the protesters hanging from the bridge up there in Astoria? Yep. Yeah, well, I was there watching that, and I was going to, I told my boss, I said, give me the hatchet, I'll go cop those guys down. <laughs> Scott let's says that, that about the, the homeless let's people. Get, <laughs> let's get the ship up there. Let's get the ship up the river. You know. So uh, I did the telephone job there, but on the weekend I actually showed up in Portland and I ran into Roberta, and we talked it out. And I decided to live with her again because the sex was great. <laughs> and what year and, was this? I've been was, in that boat myself. Yeah, Jake's mom. <laughs> okay. What year was this? And so that. We came back, okay, and everything's fine, right? Uh-huh. Well, my kids come and visit me that summer, and my dad was this was a host of Sand Lake State Park over in the Oregon coast. Uh-huh. On the, in the summertime, for about several years, he was a host over there, and I took my kids over there, and they stayed with my dad, and they'd run the, S, the, the RVs up and down the sand dunes and all that, and they had a great time and stuff like that. And... Uh, I brought him back. I ended up taking him back to Spokane, and then I continued working in and around the Portland area on construction jobs. I was running excavators and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And so uh, in October of 1990, my son Jason had a concussion. Okay. He, hit a, he ran into a tree or something like that in Spokane, and so I got a phone call, a drastic phone call, that the kids wanted to see me really bad. So I drove up to Spokane, and while I was up there, I contacted uh, several trucking companies, and I ended up going to work for uh, Jafco Trucking, which is no longer in business, but was bought out by Systems, the company that I worked for right at the very end when I was arrested. But uh, I worked for Jafco Trucking, and a month after I went to work for Jafco Trucking, Roberta came up as my co-driver and left the kids in a kitchenette in Spokane with a nanny. Instead okay. of leaving her in the, in, the, in the house in, in uh, Portland. I, I can't understand why she did that, but anyway. And so we were driving uh, flatbed mm-hmm. across the country, and I had a load of lumber on. And it was like early January of 1991, 
and we crossed the scale at uh, Rock Island, Illinois. The Waymaster wrote me up an $84 overweight ticket for having snow on my vehicle. I don't know if you ever had a ticket like that, where you're legal when I left the town. But right. when I got to Rock Island, I mean, I went through a snowstorm and had accumulated a couple extra tons of snow. Right. And so they wrote me up for snow, and then they said I could legalize it. I could kick all the snow off and get legal so she could drive off. But because I complained about the ticket, they ran my name across the NCIC, the National Index Crime right. Index, right? And out pops this felony warrant out of Shasta, California, the Don Slagle case, right? Okay. So they pull me out of the truck. They take me into, into Rock Island County Jail, and I'm sitting there, and at 10 o'clock that morning, they go in front of the judge. And I tell the judge, if you drop that overweight ticket, I will not fight extradition back to California. So he drops the overweight ticket, it throws that one out, and I waive extradition to go back to California, which means they have 10, 10 working days to come and get me, right. or they have to let me go. Right. So I spend the weekend in Rock Island County Jail. On Monday morning, they get me down to the sheriff's office, and they say, well, California's decided to drop this felony assault to a misdemeanor which means that I can be released, and then I have to go to California to settle the, the misdemeanor. Right. I said, okay, fine. Well, they cut me loose. I, I get out. I walk up to the Iowa 80 truck stop, and I get a comm check from my boss, enough for a bus ticket. So I hitch a ride to Des Moines, Iowa, and I get on a Greyhound bus for Spokane, Washington. And as I'm driving, as we're driving to Spokane, uh, we stop at Livingston, Montana, uh, at, a, at the bus station, and while I'm using the facilities in the restroom, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm reading all these notes on the wall for a good time call so-and-so, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I pull out a pen, and I say, I killed Tanya Bennett in Portland, Oregon, January 21st, 1990. Two people took the blame so I can kill again. Uh, cut fly off the jeans as proof, right? There's no smiley face on the wall. Okay. Nothing. It was just a note, okay? Now, little did I know that Laverne Pavlenock was actually in trial for her life in the Bennett case right. at that time. Right. That wall was removed from Livingston, taken to the, the Multnomah County Courthouse, right. where it sat there, and they argued over whether there's evidence or not that somebody else had actually killed Bennett. Right, right? I remember hearing about that. And, and so I ended up, now, I went to Spokane. I got mm-hmm. to Spokane before my, before Roberta actually got back there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went into the boss. Boss says, I can't hire you back until you get, take care of this misdemeanor. Well, okay, whatever. So I quit. And I went up to Alaska and I got on the Ocean Pride Alaska, which is a, a, a processing ship right. out of Dutch Harbor. I worked on there for about a month or so until I injured my right arm. And I had to come off, and I went back to Spokane, and I was collecting, uh, like, state industrial through Crawford and Company, which is the name of the insurance company for them. And I would spend a whole year collecting this and going through the therapy on my tendonitis on my right arm. And all that, and in half that year, Jason, my son, lived with me in Cheney, Washington. Oh. So my son actually lived with me for about six months during that time, in 1991 to 1992. 
in, in March of ninety March of ninety two, Crawford and Company cut me loose, and I went to work as a welder in Moxie, Washington, building a customized trailer for uh, Jim Wiley. Okay. And after I got done after I got done welding that trailer up for him, I decided I wanted to go back trucking, and I needed to get my CDL because I'd let it, let it lapse. I needed to go back and get a CDL license, and so. I went to Wairika, California, which is the county seat where the Shasta is. Right. I went on a Greyhound bus down there, and I walked into the courthouse, and I turned myself into the court for the misdemeanor. Now, they didn't arrest me. They didn't arrest me. They said, you have a lawyer? I said, no. Well, here's your lawyer. Here's the name. Go see the lawyer. So I went and saw the lawyer. Mm-hmm. He said, have you eaten lunch? And I said, no. I said, Go have lunch. So I went and had lunch. Mm-hmm. And I came back, and the case was gone. The case was dismissed. Why? Because Don Slagle decided that she didn't want anything to do with going to court and trying to explain herself about the best blowjob in Chasta. Now, just just to clarify, there there was no sex between you two, like at all. It, it, no, it was, we didn't it was have coming any up sex. to it, but it didn't actually happen. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because I wanted so, to clarify. So I wanted they, to clarify so that. They, so in so in April of '92, the case is dismissed. Okay. Right. And I go back up the, up the Yakima, I, pass my, I get my CDL license, and I go back on the road trucking, right? Now, fast forward to 2009 when my daughter Melissa is on the show with her mother, Rose, mm-hmm. and Don Slagle. They're on Oprah and Dr. Phil. Melissa tells her kitten story that happened in 1984, which didn't. And then her oh, mother, you can hear her mother say, ask the question, what kids, what are you talking about? This is in 2009. And then Dr. Phil quickly moves over to Dawn, and Dawn says, her baby was at the floor of my car, and I was stomping on the baby in the floor of the car. Yeah, I mean, because there's a whole bunch of stuff that I have about the Dawn Slagle case that, like, has, I mean, totally different than what you just said. If if, if I had stomped on this baby... Yeah, it would have been a felony. They would have prosecuted me. They would not have listened to her anymore. They would have prosecuted me for child, uh, right. you know, attempted murder on a child or child uh, abuse of a child or something like that. They would have prosecuted. Nothing in the Oprah show suggested I was even prosecuted in the case. Now, after I was arrested for murder in, in 1995 and later, someone in the clerk's office in Wairika, California, went back into the records. All right. It looks like that got cut off just a little tiny bit short. Uh, I didn't hear any warning go off that we only had one minute. But I'm sure that Keith is going to call back. So you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And remember, if you're hearing this on anybody else's podcast or show, they're lying. Demon bastards. We will see you guys later. Bye-bye.